Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Well, let's take our Bibles in our hands and make our way to Luke's Gospel. We're presently in the eighth chapter of our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Luke. And we come today to one of our Lord's most famous parables, the parable of the soils. We find this parable in three of the four Gospel accounts. It is really a turning point in the public ministry of Jesus Christ. Up until that point, He had taught the people very clearly with simple analogies that did not require explanation. But beginning here in Luke 8, He divides the people into those that believe and those that refuse to believe. And now you know that uh, we are committed to the verse-by-verse exposition of the whole counsel of God here in this church. And that means some planning. I try to plan my sermons at least six months in advance. And I have found, though, amazingly, that often as we come to the text on our calendars, it coincides with something that's going on specifically in the life of our church at that moment. That is certainly the case today. As of last Wednesday evening, about 300 members of First Baptist Keller have completed a personal evangelism training called Share Jesus Without Fear. And tomorrow evening, we're going to turn them loose on Keller and North Tarrant County. And TEDx today has specific application to those 300 and to anyone who shares their faith on a regular basis. And of course, that should be all of us. So let's read our text, Luke 8, 4. When a large crowd was coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and thorns grew up, and it was choked and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil, and grew up, and produced a crop, a hundred times as great. And he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. And those beside the road are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that they will not believe and be saved." And those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. These have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word. I've titled this message, The Story of the Soils. And then the subtitle is, The Irrefutable Evidence of True Conversion. We're going to talk at the end of this message about the irrefutable evidence of true conversion. Now this is the time of year when farmers and gardeners are getting ready to plant. In fact, I turned over a little dirt yesterday 
And some have already turned their soil and laid out the furrows and some have started planting in the greenhouse, getting a head start on the growing season. And Jesus used everyday things like farming and fishing to explain the kingdom of God. He called the apostles, of course, fishers of men. But here in Luke 8, he uses the simple analogy of agriculture. And in his gospel, Matthew tells us that Jesus was sitting in a little boat in the shadows of the Sea of Galilee, pushed away from the shore to get some distance between he and these throngs of people that were following around everywhere he went. And he taught this parable about the sower. Commentators and preachers through the years have imagined that there was an actual farmer in one of the many fields besides the Sea of Galilee who was actually sowing his sin. That may be the case. Perhaps Jesus just pointed over his way and said, the kingdom of God is like that guy. It was a very simple message with simple characters, but its meaning was not clear to those who were in attendance that day. So let's look first of all at the message. Look at verse 5. He says, the sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot. Birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out. And other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. Now, the, the payoff there is that last sentence. It produced a crop as hundred times as great. Now, but many of the people in the crowd were likely farmers, and that would have arrested their attention because this was an unbelievable crop. A good crop in those days, you'd get six to eight times what you planted, but a hundredfold of what you planted was, was unheard of, and that was the point. Jesus was getting their attention with this incredible story. But the story really has three very simple elements or characters. There's the sower, and a sower is simply a farmer. You know, in, in those days, the way they, they farm is a little bit different than today. It wasn't as uh, uh, defined. It, it hadn't been uh, developed to that point. And so what they would do is they would just plow up the field and then they would put a leather uh, pouch around one shoulder and they would fill the pouch full of seed and you would walk through the field grabbing handfuls of seed and just throwing it out. There uh, wasn't a lot of science to it. it. It was broadcasting is what it was called. And, and so the theory was, if you throw a lot of seeds, some of it's bound to come up. And that's exactly what happened. And Jesus used that story of, of the soils. First of all, there's the sower, there's the seed, and there's the soils. The story could not be more simple or common. Everyone in the audience could relate to it. Many in the crowd had likely planted seed themselves, but they all had certainly seen it done many times before. So that's the simple message. The question is, why? Why would Jesus tell such a story with a hidden meaning? Because honestly, that seed could have represented any number of things. That sower could be any number of, of people. What's the point of teaching in, in parables? Well, look what it says. As he said these things, that is, as he was teaching this parable, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, that's kind of funny thing to us. He who has the ears to hear. Most people have literal ears. I've been struggling with uh, an ear infection the last uh, couple of weeks. Went to the doctor Friday and he said, well, you've got, you've got a hole in your eardrum. And he says, it'll heal up, but uh, you know, until then, you're not going to hear very well. So I've been sympathetic the last couple of years with uh, some folks who, who are, are, are losing their hearing. 
But he's not talking about literal hearing. He's saying, he that really wants to understand truth, listen up, because I'm about to lay some on you. And here's what he says, verse 9. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, and to the rest it is in parables. That Greek word mysterion means that which was hidden, obscured in the past, but is now made clear. Now, don't think of an Agatha Christie novel, a whodunit, where you're kept on pins and needles to the end. It's something that was covered that has now been revealed. The Apostle Paul says that he was a steward of the mysteries of Christ. And the mystery that Paul was entrusted with is that the gospel is for all nations and not just the Jewish nation. So, this mystery of the kingdom, he says, I'm going to tell you about it, but I'm not going to reveal it to those who don't have a heart to hear it. And so, that's why I said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, but I'm not going to let you understand it if you're not a true believer. Now, um, Jesus apparently was not a numbers guy. You, you probably are aware that our denomination, evangelicals in particular, seem to equate God's blessings and pleasure with us to an uptick in our statistics. And this is a, a fundamental mistake. Now, of course, Jesus had a great advantage over us in that He knows the heart of every person. And so, He knew that of those thousands of people who were following Him around from village to village, only a small minority of them were genuinely converted. He said, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, the Word of God tells us. Turn over to the Gospel of John, a few pages forward in your Bible. Gospel of John, chapter 6, and you'll come to verse 53. And here John is talking about Jesus' teaching ministry that wherever he went, remember he would start in the synagogues and then he would go from village to village healing the sick and preaching the truth. And so he has this huge following by this point of John chapter 6. Look at verse 53. So Jesus said to them, that is to the crowd, Surely, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, Jesus is speaking in spiritual terms, but he's using very graphic physical language. He talks about his body as the bread of life. He talks about his blood or drinking his blood. Now, he's not talking about cannibalism. He's talking about a relationship with him, that his blood is what cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But they were offended by this. It says, verse 59, these things he taught in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, says, this is a difficult saying. Who can understand it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? Well, then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit in our life. But there are some of you who do not believe. That was the point. Jesus was separating, at that point, true believers from pretend believers. And so, He started teaching these hard things knowing that those who were just there for the, the free food and the entertainment 
we're not going to persevere to the end. And so he says, some of you do not believe for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Now look at verse 66. Here's the key to the whole passage. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Now this word disciple means follower. These people were following Jesus. They were publicly self-identifying with Jesus. But when the rubber hit the road, when the teaching got hard, and certainly when the times got hard, they were nowhere to be found. They were not genuinely saved. They were not born again. And so Jesus asked those who were born again, his disciples, are you also going to leave? And Peter said, where will we go? You alone have, have the words of life. And so Here's the spiritual message that Jesus is, is teaching to all of us. Let me give you the Keith Sanders translation of that John chapter 6 passage. You ready? Everybody talking about heaven ain't going. That's what Jesus was saying. See, we live in a culture and a country where even today, where the fastest growing demographic is what the demographers call the nuns. That is on a survey when they ask what faith tradition are you, the fastest growing answer in our nation is none. We still have a large number, millions of people who publicly identify as disciples of Jesus Christ. But Jesus knew their hearts in those days and he knows our hearts today. Not everyone who says they're a Christian truly is. And so what we want to see today, what is the irrefutable evidence of a genuine conversion? Now then, that brings us uh, to the meaning, our third point, the meaning of the story. It's a great story, but it has great spiritual meaning. Look at verse 11, Luke 8. Now the parable is this. This is Jesus explaining the meaning of the story to the twelve. The meaning is this. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. These have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed is the good soil. These are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, hold it fast, and bear fruit with perseverance. And so let's just walk through the different elements. Remember, the seed was one of, one of the big parts of this story. He simply declares that the seed in the story is the Word of God. And I take that to mean the gospel. Because all of the Word of God points to the eternal redemptive plan of God, which is to save a people unto Himself through the death, burial, and resurrection of His dear Son. All of the Bible then is about Jesus. And so when he says the seed is the word of God, it is simply the sharing of the gospel. Now do you notice that in Jesus' explanation of the story, he doesn't take the time to say who the sower is. It's understood to be anybody who sows the seed. And so originally Jesus and John the Baptist were the ones that sowed the seed about the kingdom of God. And then Jesus trained these 12 men and then they began to sow the seed. And the people who were saved as a result of the preaching of the apostles 
spread that seed to the next generation. And that's been going on for 2,000 years to this good day. And that's what will be going on this week as our folks go out to, to share the gospel. The, the soils, though, is really the point. This is the heart of the parables. That's why I like to call this the story of the soils. There are four different kinds of soil mentioned here. The sower is constant. The seed is constant. What is different is the soils. I told you I turned a little dirt yesterday at the farm. And as I began to make passes with the tractor, disking up the soil, because it's the first time that I've, I've dug in this particular area, what I realized is in a path of about 100 feet, I counted at least three very different kinds of soil. Up closer to the house was a sort of a clay mixture, so that, uh, what do they call it, caliche? I think I called it a kalachi today. That's a different thing, isn't it? <laughs> and then, there's the, the, then there was the sandy loam, and, and then there was the more uh, deeper, richer, darker soil down towards the end uh, of the garden. But I thought of this parable because he says there's four types of soils at play here. First of all, he says there's some of the seed which fell on the hard soil. In those days, they didn't have barbed wire fences between property lines. It was just wide open. And so people would travel between these fields and they would pack down the soil with their feet and carts and animals. And over time, what you had is a consistency about like concrete. And so some of that seed that was being broadcast would fall on that pathway and it would be trampled under feet, uh, but it would just lay on top, just like if you threw seed out on, on the asphalt, it wouldn't penetrate and the birds would come out and snatch it away. And he says, this is the gospel. It it's goes up against that hard hearted person. And if you share your faith regularly, you've run into this person more than once. Somebody who you, you can't wait to tell them about Jesus. And as soon as you do, it just turns right back in your face. They throw a hand. I don't want to hear that. I've heard all that before. Don't, they're, they're hard hearted. They are stubborn in their sin and stubborn in their belief. And they will not believe no matter how many convincing arguments you give. That's that hard soil. Satan comes and he snatches away the gospel and He's often gone. The second type of soil is the rocky soil. Now, we, we think of uh, rocky soil as, you know, you, you plow up the land and some pebbles come to the surface and you get your kids to pick those up. Obviously, any good farmer is going to do that. This is not talking about that. It was talking about a, a thin veneer of good soil over a hard base of limestone. Now this is the way the soil is out west of town where we live. I can remember when they were grading off Mr. Crawford's farm where we now live with 1,100 other families. They, they'd grade off that land and I mean it'd just be those big huge chunks of limestone. And what they would do when they got ready to plant the sod is they'd sprinkle a little dirt on top and then they'd get the grass to grow but you couldn't grow anything of substance there. And, and that's what he's talking about. See what would happen is this Topsoil would just be a thin veneer over this bedrock, and you'd plant the seed, and to the untrained eye, it looked like everything was going well. It would spring up real fast and began to grow. But if you know anything about plants, they grow in two directions. They grow up and they grow down. And so those branches shooting up looked green and luscious until the roots tried to get some moisture, and they'd hit that bedrock, and they'd wither up and die. And it would not endure and it would not produce fruit. We've all had this experience 
where, where you see friends of yours you've been praying for and, and, and they hear a gospel presentation and they, they seem to respond. Maybe they're even emotional. Maybe shed some crocodile tears. And then Monday morning they're right back living the way they were before as if nothing had ever happened. And, and here's that rocky soil. Now this was going on in Jesus' day. It's going on today. So they, they gave intellectual assent. In fact, Jesus even said they believe. Now don't take that to mean saving faith. All that means is intellectual assent. At a moment in time, they agreed to some historical facts about Jesus. Now, dear friends, that's not enough for someone to be saved, to agree to some intellectual historical facts about Jesus. That's not the same as being born again. Now, the third kind of soil is, is the weedy soil. Uh, he says thorns and thistles choke it out and, and starve it. Now the problem again is not the seed. It's good seed. The problem is the soil. Now here's the third kind of soil that it looks good to the naked eye. The, the seeds of weeds are microscopic. You can't sift through them and see them. And so you, you throw your seed on what looks like fertile soil. And sure enough, it, what you planted comes up. But along with it comes, seeds and, uh, comes weeds and thorns and thistles. And if you have a lawn, you know that weeds and thorns and thistles grow faster than anything else, right? And when they grow up taller than what you've planted, their broad leaves block out the sun so that your plant can't conduct photosynthesis and it sucks all the moisture that your plant's roots need and it dies. And so whether it dies from the rocky soil or it dies from the thorns and the thistles, the point is it dies and it doesn't produce fruit. It does not in endure. And, and I think one of the problems we have about the way we have tended to share the gospel in the last 30 or 40 years in, in my lifetime is that we want to tell all the good and, and we don't tell the bad. That is, Jesus called people in his day to take up their cross daily and follow him. I think a lot of the evangelism I see being done today is more like a used car salesman. Yeah, come down here and here's what you're going to get. You're going to get a free ticket to heaven. All your problems are going to go away. You're going to have friends that you've never had before and everything's going to come up roses for you. And friends, that just isn't so. The truth is that following Jesus is not an easy road. Following Jesus is the hardest road you'll ever take. And he warned people up front and he said the path to heaven is through a small gate and a narrow path. And John Newton, the songwriter, knew it when he said, through many dangers, toils, and snares, we'd make our way to heaven, right? And remember what Agent Rogers said, if I had a thousand lives, I'd give them all to Jesus. But all 1,000 of those lives would be difficult. Because what happens? People hear that story that, hey, come to Jesus, pray this prayer, and suddenly all your problems are going to go away, and it doesn't, and they don't, and the cares of life and the pursuit of money is still there, and it chokes out that intellectual assent that they gave, and it proves that it wasn't real. And then it comes to the fourth and the final, what he calls the, the good soil. This is soil that's been broken up. It's soft and fertile. It is prepared. It's free of weeds and thistles and thorns. But it proves itself to be good soil. Why? 
because it produces fruit. Look at verse 15. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and pure heart, good heart, hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Friends, these are the irrefutable evidences of genuine conversion. Look at that verse, three things. First of all, they hear the word. That is, they believe it. You have to give intellectual assent to certain facts before you can be saved. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is God in the flesh, that He lived a perfect life and died a literal death on the cross for sinners, and that on the third day He literally rose again. I don't believe you can be saved without believing those things. But He says it's proven that your faith is real, secondly, because you hold it fast. You endure what Christians have called for many years the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. The Bible says those that persevere to the end, those are those that are being saved. And the third irrefutable proof is that they bear fruit. They bear fruit. And so if you're having doubts about your salvation, my first diagnostic question to you is, are you bearing fruit? Now, what does he mean by bearing fruit? Well, obviously there's the fruit of the Spirit. Paul talks about love, joy, peace. But there's other kind of fruit. There's sharing your faith with other people. There's um, a desire to worship in spirit and truth. There's the desire to be with other Christians. There's a desire to read your Bible. There's time spent in prayer. In other words, fruit really is obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So what I would say to you is if there is an absence of those things in your life, then you have very good reason to doubt the reality of your salvation. The irrefutable evidence of salvation is not that you walked an aisle or even remember it or that you filled out a card in a Baptist church, or that you raised your hand in a revival meeting. The irrefutable evidence of genuine conversion is spiritual fruit. And in this analogy, I'm going to say something that probably some of you were taught differently growing up. Only one of these four soils represents a true, a true Christian. I know some people teach that not all these others were, were true Christians, except maybe the first one. Maybe they just backslid or they came what has been termed carnal Christians. No, the clear teaching of Jesus is that the only one who was saved was the fourth, the one who had good soil. We say, well, what does it mean? How can we say that? Well, because of what the Bible says. 1 John 2.19, listen to this. The Apostle John was dealing with the same issue in his day that we are today. People making public professions of faith but having no evidence of it in their life. And this is what he said, 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. John was not saying these are people who are really saved, but they just backslid, he's saying they left the faith because they never really had any. They were just attracted to what they perceived to be something they could get. They were looking for that easy life perhaps, or maybe they were looking to have relationships with people in the church. Who knows? But it wasn't real. It was superficial, it was shallow, and it was insincere. 
And as one preacher I heard many years ago say that many people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches, the distance between their brain and their heart. That is, they give intellectual assent to certain historical facts, but they never submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is talking about here is, is that crowd of people, thousands who were following him wherever he went. He says, I'm not going to, as he said later, cast pearls before swine. I'm going to entrust the true meaning of these things to those who are believers. And Paul said later anyway in his letter to the Corinthians that spiritual things cannot be discerned by those who don't have the Spirit anyway. So, so in conclusion, let, let me say this, as it relates to those 300 of you who've been trained for personal evangelism and to all people who plan on sharing your faith, five things. Number one, don't be miserly with the seed. Meaning it's not up to us to determine who we think is a worthy candidate to share the gospel with. Someone we think has the potential to actually listen or believe because we are not God. We don't know. That farmer didn't say, I'm going to spread the seed here or there. He just grabbed handfuls of it and spread it generously wherever he went. Whether you're at work or at school or on the ball field or the golf course, that's where you sow the seed. It's just a different analogy that Paul uses. He called the gospel an aroma. And wherever we go, we're taking that smell of the gospel with us. And remember, there's two reactions to it. Some people get a whiff of us and they think, oh, that smells great. I want some of that. Other people get a whiff of us and, and they turn and run, right? Well, it's the same thing that's going to happen when we, when we sow the seed. Some are going to be hardened to it. No thanks. Don't want any of that. But others are actually going to listen and, and they're going to believe. But don't be miserly with the seed. It's funny how some of the people we think are not going to listen actually do. And some people we think will won't. I was talking to Dr. Michael Waldrop, who's our church planner in southern Utah in a city that's over 90% Mormon. And he, he came from Mississippi like I did, where everybody claimed to be a Christian. And he said, it's amazing how my view of Christianity and of prospects has changed. He said, back in Mississippi, if a guy pulls up next to you on a Harley with uh, guns and knives and, and leather all over him, you lock the doors. But out here, you roll down the window because you know he's not a Mormon. Maybe he wants to come to your church. <laughs> and it's funny because our perceptions are most often wrong. And so we don't say, I'm going to share the gospel with this person and not that. We don't share the gospel. Don't be miserly. Secondly, understand what success is. Success is not a 200% increase in baptisms, though we'd love to see that. Success is, is not getting an award at the associational meeting for growing the church. Success is faithfulness. When you go out and you share your faith, you have been faithful to what the Lord has called you to do. It's not up to you to save anyway. One thing I loved about this training Brother Jimmy led us in is that the, the author of Share Jesus Without Faith said that over and over, that he never saved anyone and we are not responsible for saving anyone either. We're responsible for sowing the seed. That's it. Thirdly, though, pray and work with a sense of expectation. Now, that sounds like I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth. Now, we have the expectation 
that when you sow a lot of seed, some of it's going to come up and produce fruit, right? Now, we're not naive. We know that Jesus says that the way to heaven is through a small gate and a narrow path, and few there be that find it. Christians have always and will always, true Christians, be in the minority, but we believe if we share our faith, some folks are going to get saved. And we're putting our money where our mouth is. I've got a meeting this afternoon with our budget committee, and we're asking to set aside some money to remodel the baptistry because we feel like the next few years we're about to wear it out because of you folks that are going out and sharing your faith. We have a sense of anticipation about that when we pray. Now, fourthly, time is getting away. Understand your role. You're not God. You're not the Holy Spirit. You're, you're the sower. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. Those people are arguing about who's the most important people in the church. Paul says, not us, not the apostles, not the preachers. He said, all I did was plant. Another guy named Apollos comes along and he watered and God gives the increase, right? Now you talk to any farmer, he can till up the soil and he can plant it, he can fertilize it, he can water it, but he cannot make that seed grow. That is a work of God that we cannot explain. That is true in the human heart. Your role, my role, is to plant. Fifthly and finally, when someone does come to faith, give the glory to God for any and all that repent and believe. What about you, dear friend? We're not just talking about those theoretical masses out here in North Tarrant County. I'm talking to people right here. And listen, every Sunday morning when I preach these three services, I never assume that everyone in this room is a true Christian. In fact, I assume the opposite. That with a, with a crowd as large as this, there's bound to be some people here who are not born again. And that's why every week I appeal to you, I beg you to turn from sin and come to Christ on His terms. And beg Him for mercy, not for justice. And put your faith in what He's done in your place and receive that free gift of eternal life. But how do you know what kind of soil you are? Well, it, it's, it's how the Word of God affects you. If you can sit under the Word of God and read the Word of God and hear it read and hear people talking about what God has done in the world and be unmoved by it, that is, you're not drawn to it, in fact, you're repelled by it, you have no interest in the church, no interest in the things of God, no interest in sharing your faith, no interest in prayer, no interest in Bible study, Dear friends, there is no evidence that you're saved. You say, well, is there any hope for me? I can't change my heart. No, you can't, but God can. God is in the heart-changing business. Would you agree? Listen to what He says in Ezekiel chapter 36, 24, to the nation of Israel, but by extension all of us. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you'll be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, listen, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Only the Lord can do that. And He will do that when you come to Him in humble faith. And we're going to close a little different, differently today. I said we have those hundreds of people who have been trained. I want you to see some of them. And I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but, but if you have completed that training, would you just stand up right now? Can, can I see you? Because we're going to pray for you. 
Now, you don't have to have gone through this training to share your faith, but I just want to see your friends and neighbors who have committed many hours to learning how to share their faith. Now, let's come to a time of prayer. Let's pray for these people that are staying. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for these uh, dear ones who have given their time and energy and effort to, to be trained in sharing their faith. And, and Lord, we know it really comes down to one thing. It comes down to sowing seed. Wherever we go, being intentional about casting seed out, the seed is the word of God, it is the gospel. So Lord, help us not to be miserly, help us to be generous, help us to be thoughtful that uh, every encounter we have with individuals and groups of people is an opportunity to sow the seed of the gospel. And Father, we're not the Holy Spirit and we can't convict anyone of sin and judgment and righteousness, but you can. And you've told us in your word that the means by which you bring about salvation in the hearts of people is through the preaching and the proclamation of your word. And so, Father, we believe that. And so we believe and have a sense of anticipation with many people going out sharing their faith that some are going to be saved. Lord, when that happens, we're going to be very quick to give you all the praise, the honor, the thanksgiving, and the glory. And we'll rejoice even as the angels in heaven rejoice for one lost soul being saved. And Lord, we look forward to that. We can't wait. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.